The cyber landscape is constantly evolving, creating new challenges and opportunities to defend against sophisticated attacks. At Northrop Grumman, we provide a wide range of capabilities to stay ahead of these threats. To learn more, visit northropgrumman.com backslash cyber. Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Northrop Grumman. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Joining us today are among the authors of a new report by the Atlantic Council's Cyber Statecraft Initiative, Countering Ransomware, Lessons from Aircraft Hijacking. Joining us are Emma Schroeder, an assistant director uh, at the initiative, and Simon Handler, uh, I should say, uh, an assistant director emeritus, who is now a senior fellow with the, with, uh, the council's initiative. Emma and Simon, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. And before we get started, a word from our sponsors. Bell sponsors our daily podcast. Leonardo DRS sponsors our global coverage. And General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. And our coverage of the Navy League's recent Sea Airspace Conference and Trade Show was sponsored. Huntington Ingalls Industries and General Electric Marine. And our naval coverage is sponsored by Fincantieri Marinette Marine. Um, Simon, uh, let me start with you. Obviously, a very, very thought-provoking uh, report at a time when everybody around the world is trying to figure out, including inside the administration, are trying to uh, think through how uh, to uh, counter ransomware uh, attacks that are both lucrative as well as uh, devastating and increasingly, as we saw in Colonial Pipeline, or uh, from a food standpoint, uh, issues that can become uh, truly uh, domestic with national security implications. Why did you guys pick uh, airline hijackings as a model and and walk us through what the most relevant lessons from history are that can be applied to this uh, new uh, domain. Sure, absolutely. So first of all, this all starts with actually a larger body of work on cyber strategy that's underway with the initiative. So what we've found is that policymakers are continuing to mischaracterize uh, the cyber domain as one of one-off catastrophic incidents. And uh, I think just a few months ago, even, there was a policymaker who described ransomware as a cyber weapon of mass destruction. And so when we keep on seeing these attacks on pipelines and, and important facilities, like you just mentioned, uh, it seems to validate that sort of thinking. But in reality, uh, cyber is much more persistent and low grade um, than anything like a WMD. And so on this basis, we looked uh, to take lessons for cyber strategy from uh, irregular warfare and uh, looking particularly at counterterrorism and counterinsurgency. And so uh, when we're looking to craft a strategy to counter the current surge in ransomware through this irregular lens, we found that there are lessons to be learned from how the United States countered uh, a surge in aircraft hijackings in the late 60s and early 70s uh, that we can apply to the challenge. You guys really have three lessons uh, here, and I want to sort of uh, break out uh, each one of them. And one of them is, is banning, the first one is banning payments is not a good first step. Why not? Because there are some leading cyber minds, Dmitry Alperovich, uh, formerly of CrowdStrike, now with the Silverado uh, Accelerator, you know, makes the case that, hey, you, you guys should be going after the payment. You should be going after electronic currencies to constrain uh, the, the lucrative nature of this, uh, ultimately, why, why are banning payments not a good first step? Ban banning nor interrupting, you know, from a, from a payment interdiction standpoint, uh, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so so getting into this debate, uh, what we really want to emphasize is that banning payments shouldn't be the start nor the end of the conversation. Uh, this doesn't mean that this is not a valuable debate that's ongoing right now. Um, but the reason why we are saying, you know, this is not the first step to take um, is because what we're looking at is kind of the incentive structure of the companies who are being affected by these ransomware attacks. Um, you know, they are often you know, put into these situations where they, they feel like I either pay or my company is ruined or, you know, I can't fulfill my mission. And what we want to do is instead of banning payments and kind of putting that kind of pressure and possibly punishment on kind of the victim party, what we want to do is change the incentive structure and say, how can we help these companies choose a different option? How can we help them, you know, with, with the next two sections of the report, which we'll get to later, basically make, make a better decision. And we don't have to do that punitively. We can do that by helping companies and institutions out. Um, and on the kind of cryptocurrency question, definitely the, you know, debate's ongoing. One of the things that we are talking about is just a straight ban. One of the dangers for both cryptocurrency and for just ban banning payments in general is that that might push people into using more subvert methods. You know, the, the reporting rate for ransomware is already not that high. So it might cause companies to choose, you know, I'll just pay it and not tell anybody. But then that might cause the ransomware to be, be able to come back and say, well, now we're gonna blackmail you because you did something right. legal. Or, you know, on the case of cryptocurrency, they might just use another cryptocurrency that is even less well-regulated or that we just can't see as well. So it's it's all about making sure, okay, we have a fairly good view of the ecosystem right now. Let's try and keep it where we can see it and then regulate and change the incentive structure while we're there. Um, Simon, um, let me uh, just uh, push on that uh, a little bit more because that is pretty sound reasoning uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, certainly having, um, you know, being able to blackmail somebody with it Ultimately, do you think that Sunlight Rules, right? I mean, the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, Tom Fanning, uh, CEO of Southern uh, Corporation, nation's number two utility, uh, you know, has been uh, one of the people who's recommended that actually sunshine is the best disinfectant, that companies should report breaches. Uh, it should be part of corporate governance uh, because uh, when these things are exposed and they're in public, they, you can't be blackmailed, uh, but more broadly, um, it becomes the differentiator. You see who's been swimming naked, uh, not to use uh, the, maybe the overwrought reference by uh, Warren Buffett, right? When the tide goes out is when you find out who's been swimming naked or not. In this case, right, you have that kind of visibility. Um, it is, is a reporting requirement, something that, you know, if, if, you're, if you're not going to interfere on the payment side of things, then maybe you're more open in terms of the kind of intrusions uh, that you've had. Yeah, I think I think the more we know um, what's going on in the ecosystem, uh, the more secure you know we'll be. Um, but at the end of the day, I think Emma hit the nail on the head. Um, really, we should be looking at the incentives, um, what is is leading to these attacks, and what companies can do to become more resilient. You know, after an attack, or, or uh, to rather, um, if once they get hit by an attack. Uh, how can they be more resilient to take a punch and keep going and uh, and have not have their entire operation uh, fall down as a result? 
Um, what is the right balance? Uh, you guys call it active uh, and passive uh, measures. Uh, I, I, I love that. Uh, obviously, links to the Soviets and the Russians and what they're what they're doing. But there is a concern that there's been a little bit too much focus on offense and not as much on defense. What's the right balance between uh, active and passive uh, to get there? Right, because. Um, the ransomware is, is certainly nothing new. You guys point out that it's been going on for many decades. Uh, and, and actually, right, once you go back three, three decades, you're kind of closer uh, to the 60s and 70s uh, in terms of the airline incidents uh, that the international community banded together, right? I mean, that's when we got metal detectors and, uh, you know, x-rays and all of that kind of stuff that we started using in order to, to, um, to make the entire travel ecosystem safer. What's the right uh, offense-defense balance? Yeah, so um, definitely the, the kind of passive or defensive side of things is, is the less sexy side of cybersecurity, but it's incredibly important. Um, one of the things that we've talked about in, in this report and in others is that cybersecurity is not about trying to prevent every single attack or every single incursion, because that's you know just not a realistic goal that you can have. Um, so what we need to do is, you know, increase those passive measures, which basically means we need to increase the cost for people to attack us. If, if somebody wants to get into your system, you make, you make it as difficult as possible. So they need to put out much more effort. And then that could either, you know, deter them from attacking you or just make it costlier for them to do that. Um, and over time, kind of change the environment. Because right now it's, it's fairly easy not, you know, not super easy, but in kind of comparative terms to launch this kind of ransomware attack, especially with the rise of the ransomware as a service sector, where people don't even have to have the skills, they can just buy the capabilities to do this. Um, so that's what we want. So ransom, you know. <laughs> ransomware as a service. I mean, that's really hilarious, but it's totally true. Uh, and you're the first person who's actually put it that way. Um, and and I, I, it is both memorable and very apt. You don't even have to be skilled to do this, but you can make quite a tidy living. Yeah, exactly. Very profitable. You can, you know, find tools, techniques, tactics on the internet. Um, you don't have to be developing all these tools yourself. So that's why we really need to have this focus on passive measures, raise the baseline of cybersecurity, make it more difficult. Um, and then we pair this with the more active measures where we're actually going out and investigating. But these two things you know, really can't exist without the other. You need to both go after people. It's all about, again, you know, we talked about the incentives of the companies. And in this case, we're kind of talking about the incentives of the attackers make it a lot less fun for them, a lot less profitable for them, and a lot less easy. Uh, well, I mean, right. I mean, a lot of these ransomware groups, it's not necessarily that it's international pressure, especially if they're operating in Russia. Again, I mean, not to quote Dimitri again, you know, was it international pressure or, or did these guys make $70 million and $70 million in rubles is a lot of money and you go and you hang out in the Black Sea. Uh, until you, you want to hit them again, right? Or contract out that service. Um, Simon, how do we need to um, how do we need to squeeze the safe havens at the end of the day, right? Because the um, you know whether you were the Soviet Union, whether you were the People's Republic of China under Mao Zedong, you know ultimately you wanted a safe international air travel system, right? Uh, whereas in this particular case with ransomware, there are nations that are actually giving safe haven um, 
not much happens in Russia that the Russian government doesn't know about. So this whole notion of, oh, you know, there are just some guys in a basement doing this. Somebody could pressure them. The, the Russians and the Chinese have chosen that they're not going to pressure them because it's in their interest uh, to sow uh, discord, uh, tension, disinformation, or indeed ransom, uh, ransomware. Uh, ultimately, what has to happen to squeeze those safe havens, even if they're in Russia and China? Yeah, sure. So it's definitely going to take a combination of, of measures like we talked about, uh, just because when you squeeze uh, one safe haven, it's very possible that a ransomware group uh, can just move to somewhere else um, or a ransomware as a service um, company can, can just provide uh, their services to uh, in, uh, an organization that's in a totally different region of the world um, than we're even talking about. But at the end of the day, I think it's going to come down to the cost benefit analysis of all of this. Um, you know, uh, right now, uh, countries like Russia uh, see this as in their interest uh, to destabilizing uh, operations coming from these uh, ransomware uh, organizations, and uh, it helps them strategically. So um, we have to impose some sort of costs uh, that make it so that uh, it's no longer worth it for them. And that is going to include working with uh, partners and, and allies uh, to uh, form coalitions um, uh, of like-minded nations against uh, these sorts of activities. On the 20th anniversary of, of 9-11, it's good that coalitions of the willing are still possible. Emma, the new administration is, is looking to tackle this. Uh, Chris Inglis, uh, before he went into the administration as the nation's first uh, national cyber director, joined us a couple of times and uh, you know, uh, was um, thoughtful on um, strategic cyber issues and obviously is con- trying to contend with this. Uh, Ann Neuberger, obviously also at the White House, uh, and Jen Easterly is, is at CISA. Uh, and it's, so it's a great cyber team and folks have a lot of respect for uh, the, what the administration is trying to do. But ultimately, what are the policy changes they have to make in order to be more successful from your guys' uh, perspective? So, um, you know, obviously this, there's already a lot being done. That's, that's really great. Um, one of the things is CISO's Ransomware Task Force Guide, which kind of lays out for companies or individuals or institutions how they should respond. So that's, that's already great. And there's already, you know, things being done. Um, but, you know, there's, there's so many things, so many angles for this. You know, it's not just cyber to cyber, just because we're being attacked through the cyber domain doesn't mean the response has to be just cyber. So I think it's gonna come down to you know, that multifaceted approach. Um, and, you know, as Simon said, not just domestically, but internationally, you know, we work with our allies and partners in other countries and also the different stakeholders in the United States. Um, and it's going to be just about like, creating a policy that helps us all pull in the same direction, you know, reshapes that incentive structure so that the United States government, its allies and companies all are, you know, on the same team on this. And that will include a bunch of different measures that we've kind of laid out throughout the report. Simon? Yeah, I think that's right. The, the ransomware task force is a good uh, start in disrupting ransomware operations and cracking down on, on the payment systems and engaging uh, allies and partners. Um, I think um, we really need to uh, shift our, our sights a little bit more to uh, what we call uh, ruthlessly prioritizing risk, um, which is focusing on the key pieces of software uh, that uh, can have the biggest 
um, kind of blast radius, uh, if you will, um, if targeted um, and the, the pieces of software that are most widely used and, and what we might call linchpins um, because we can't prevent every attack. Uh, so we're, we're really gonna have to focus on the, the places uh, that can uh, create the most damage if they are uh, compromised. And that goes back to uh, like metal detectors at airports, right? We, we can't prevent every terrorist attack in the streets. Uh, if someone with a knife wants to run up and, and stab people, uh, that, that's possible. But we can um, try to prevent these at uh, areas of, of highest consequence. And, and so that's a major point. Uh, not just in this report, but in kind of our cyber strategy in general. Emma, you know, um, you, you talked about the international component of, of, about this uh, and obviously coalitions uh, of, of the willing in order to try to address it, as, as Simon mentioned. But each country has sort of a different approach to how they're fighting ransomware. Um, and, and the cyber approaches vary. I know that international organizations are trying to bring people on. And, and I know that uh, there's a UN body, obviously, that can serve as, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to an extent plays an important role as well. Jim Lewis of CSIS has talked about that. What are the different approaches people are using? And how do we get to better, sort of more concerted, coordinated approaches, uh, given that, as in the case of every criminal activity, criminal actors are going to find a way to exploit gaps uh, to, to, at the end of the day, make money? You know, over, over the years that ransomware has existed, the decades, it has taken on different forms and has evolved over the years. And, you know, you'll see a certain tactic associated with just one entity. And then, you know, everyone kind of catches on, oh, that's working. And then they, they start to use it and it continuously evolves. Um, and the same with, you know, different payment methods, you know, that changes over the years. So one of the things that we wanted to focus on and we think is an important you know, way to look at this is that focusing on specific mechanisms isn't, you know, the, the overarching answer. It can be a piece of the puzzle, but really what we should be focusing on in this space is kind of a more people approach. So, you know, I use people in kind of the broad term, but, you know, how do we help companies make better choices? How do we change that, the view of, of ransomware? So it's not, you know, just focused on the, the mechanisms or who's doing it to you, but actually taking a look kind of inward and saying, well, why is this happening? You know, what about these companies makes it really appealing for ransomware actors to go after them? Um, and how can we change that from, you know, internal outwards approach? So I think that's, you know, something that not just within the United States, we need to take a look at, but allies and all over the world, you know, just because a large proportion of ransomware attacks occur within the United States or occur against companies within the United States, doesn't mean that that's always going to be the case, nor that we should just ignore the ransomware attacks against other countries. So, you know, people around the world, different stakeholders and different states need to take a look at the incentives against you know, the companies and entities within their own countries. And then we can come together and have a really fruitful conversation about the themes and lessons that we're seeing. And you know, to your earlier point about you know, in, in hijacking, nobody wanted to see that. All around the world, nobody wanted to see that. And I think as we build that conversation, in international forums, we're gonna see an attitude like that take shape 
where, you know, nobody wants their economy to be targeted like this, especially if they are a smaller state with an economy that kind of can't hold up to this kind of sustained pressure. Simon, what does victory look like uh, in, in this case, right? You're never going to stop all attacks. Um, you know, obviously in the wake of Afghanistan, right? Mission, you know, what, what is victory? What, what was winning? Uh, everybody is debating that because we didn't seem to have a particularly clear, uh, the vision for whatever victory or winning was, um, ultimately what does winning or success, right? How do you benchmark it? Is it, is it simply reducing it? Um, how do we, how do we need to think about end states uh, on this? Because it's, it's a forever battle, ultimately. Yeah, that's right. Uh, ransomware has been around for, for decades, and it only seems to be uh, you know, getting worse in terms of the attacks and, and the number of ransoms or, or the amount of ransom uh, demanded. Um, but you know, we, we always talk about this idea of trying to define success in cyber uh, and people are asking, you know, how, how can we stop ransomware? Um, that's literally the name of, of the uh, government website, stopransomware.gov. Um, and it's just not going to happen. Um, we need to like consider success as marginal improvements uh, over time. And a big, you know, idea that we tried to get across uh, in our cyber strategy work is that uh, our strategy should look more like improving our batting average uh, over time um, than trying to solve the imp- entire problem or, or hit a home run every at bat, which is simply not going to happen. Guys, thanks so very much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Pleasure having you uh, on and look forward to having you guys on again uh, in the future. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Vago. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Everyone is a contributor at Northrop Grumman, and every day is an opportunity to help defend our nation and our allies. Visit our careers page at ngc.com to learn about joining the Cyber and Intelligence Mission Solutions team.